Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. It is good to look out and see all of your bright, shining, smiling faces and know that I am among friends and not enemies. But today we have to be compelled by the love of Christ to love our enemies. And so we are in our sixth week. We are on page 19 of our bulletin programs uh, that we've been going through this. We've been talking about the word compels, that it's the animating, motivating force of your life. What compels you in life? And it should be, for the Christian, the love and the grace of God. And so we're going to see how the love and grace of God helps us confront our enemies and how we're to relate to our enemies. Um, Before we talk about our national history of enemies, which I think is a fun thing to do. I'm a student of history. Today is a day for enemies. Everybody in Philadelphia hates everything about Kansas City and everybody in Kansas City, okay? And they're going to fight out their deep dislike for each other through 11 players on their side against the 11 players from the other side. And I am rooting for Patrick Mahomes. So just let that be known. Um, So today is a day for enemies. And here's my issue with enemies. Just before we get into it all, I wouldn't have really a hard time loving my enemies if they weren't such jerks. Right? I mean, if your enemies were not such a problem and so difficult, would there be a problem? No. You know you feel that way. You've just never had anyone express it like that. So let's just take a look at, when we talk about enemies, here's the thing. You see enemies all throughout the Old Testament, okay? And matter of fact, there's three, the word enemy or enemies occurs 330 times in Scripture. Usually it's not very descriptive about the nature of an enemy because here's the thing. When I use the word enemy, do we really need to go to Webster's and define it? No. We all kind of inherently know what an enemy is. And so the scripture spends, of those 330 verses, most of them just saying, and Saul was an enemy of David, and the Philistines were an enemy of Israel, and so on, right? It's just stated as fact. Same thing with friends, right? Two weeks ago, we talked about friends. Do we need to really define what a friend is? No. Most of us know what a friend is. And so We're going to be talking a little bit more because where Jesus here in our text is going to focus from the Beatitudes, it's more enemies on a personal level. However, uh, there is the influence of a national level. Remember, at the time of Jesus, they are being occupied by Rome. And if you were an Israelite in the time of Jesus being occupied by these pagan, cruel Romans, you hated them. And Humanly speaking, you had every good reason to hate the Romans, unless you were benefiting from them, right? And some people did. So just in our national psyche, our first enemy was Great Britain, right? Where we came from as a country, right? The Puritans came here and settled America in 1620. Then, you may not realize it, but the French have been our enemy the whole time. Not a national, like, we're going to go to war with you enemy, 
but more of a social enemy because the French have always been immoral to us godly American Christians. The way that they behave, the things that they do, the, the way their women act and dress, Americans have always perceived the French as an enemy. So if you don't know that part of American history and the underbelly of it, it's something to study. Then, of course, there's Germany. Okay, they're really easy to hate. You know, my favorite line is from the Blues Brothers when um, one brother says, I hate Nazis. And John Belushi then says, yeah, I hate, I really hate Illinois Nazis. And then they run the Illinois Nazis off the bridge. So Nazis are really easy to hate. They're everybody's enemies. Then we've got the Soviet Union and the Viet Cong and then ISIS. So if you look at 300 years of U.S. history, these have been kind of our enemies, and quite frankly, we've enjoyed not liking our enemies. I didn't put the Japanese up there because I only really had room for Six Flags. Um, so, but we really didn't like the Japanese for four years, but you know, what's really neat is, would you say now that the, the English are our friends? Yeah. What about the French? Yeah. I mean, and, and what about Germany? Yeah. What about Japan? Yeah. What about Russia? Eh. Right? Vietnam? Yeah. And are things getting better in the Middle East? Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how even on a national level, you know, enemies can become friends. And so we should take good heart from this. I'm going to just define enemies as a foe, adversary, opponent who seeks you harm, injury, or death. Can be personal, national, tribal, or religious in nature. It's accompanied with a feeling of hate or deep dislike. Good definition? All on the same page? And here's the thing. If you're a person of character, Churchill said you'll have enemies. And I'll just say this as a pastor for the last 25 years, I never had an enemy outside of like the playground and, you know, being in school and that sort of thing until I got into the ministry. <laughs> chuckle at that. Um, so here's what the scripture says about enemies. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles unless you're a Philadelphia eagle and Mahomes trips and falls today. If you see your enemy hungry, go buy him lunch or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Now that comes from the message and it retranslates uh, what's there about heaping hot coals on somebody's head. Nobody knows what that means today, but what that meant was if you were living in a Bagwin society and you had an enemy and he was going to go travel at night, you would give him the hot coals from your fire so that he could stay warm as he traveled. So it, it's, it's doing an act of goodness and kindness that will sustain his life. Let's take a look at our text. It's printed on page 19. Uh, it's from Luke. Remember, this is the Beatitudes. Um, so Jesus has just called his disciples, and he's going to be teaching them on the Beatitudes. Now, remember, a Beatitude is like a proverb. It's, a, it's kind of a statement of the blessed life. Okay, so it's, 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 it's the divine ideal on how we're to live and conduct ourselves. Okay, so it's, the Beatitudes are a very high standard, and, and they're intentionally meant that way, because this is the way God 
lives and moves and exists. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Would you pray with me? Now, the prayer I have is printed up here. If you'd like to just listen to me pray and close your eyes and do so, please do so. If you would like to say it out loud with me, do so. I'm kind of big on scripted prayers because it means that the prayer has actually prepared to pray. And I know there's like this debate about should you write out your prayer or not write out your prayer? You know, Jesus wrote this prayer out in Matthew 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's okay to have a written prayer that we all read together. It is very spiritual to hear everyone saying the prayer together. Okay, that was just a side comment. That's all it was. And hopefully it prepared you to pray, right? And, oh, and by the way, I wrote this prayer, so you know it's going to be good. <laughs> you know, I'm just teasing you guys, you know, it, it's a cold February morning, okay? And we, we're all going to have to learn how to love our enemies, so we really need to have a good attitude. <laughs> Join me in prayer, sincerely. Blessed Lord Jesus, you tell us to love our enemies because we are recipients of your agape love. We confess that this is a difficult command to follow, and we are weak. Teach us and change us from deep within to love and serve those who have harmed and wounded us. Grant us your grace to remove the hate in our hearts and the grace to fulfill your will to love our enemies. Amen. So we talked about this two weeks ago. The slide's pretty much the same on agape. Um, it's this unconditional, unselfish love that's irrespective of the other person's goodness or merit or conduct. And so that's how it can be applied as God loves us. He loves us in this fashion. And this is how it can be applied to our enemies, right? We're to love our enemies irrespective of their conduct. Their conduct has been harmful to, towards us, but we're called by God to love in an agape manner, which is the same manner in which God loves us. And here in this text of nine verses, agape is used five times. Now remember what we said two weeks ago, agape is a pure and divine love, and it affects us. It changes us. It's not like, 
well, I'm just going to choose to agape my enemy. <laughs> You're going to fail every time. Really, we can sell tickets. We'll all come out and watch and we'll place bets. They're going to fail. Okay? The only way you can love your enemies if you allow that agape love of Jesus to wash in you and through you. Then you can love your enemies. So it has to affect you. And so to love your enemies well, to do the commands of God, you have, you have to allow yourself to be changed by God. Okay? Now, agape will test your discipleship. I love this. If you ask the average Christian, how do you know if you're godly? You know where like 8 out of 10 go? They go to Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. Well, I know I'm godly because of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and I'm, I'm trying to like model all that. No, you're godly when you love your enemy. Oh, I really don't want to do that. I, I can't be godly. Right? Here's the thing. If you haven't learned this lesson, faith always tastes like death. Right? That's how you know you're walking in faith. It should have the taste of death. Because to love your enemies, you know who, you ha you know who has to die? You. Your pride has to die. And you have to then live by faith. And faith is defined as dependence upon God. The only way I can love my neighbor is by faith. I've got to die to myself because I know I'm right and he's wrong. And I've got to depend upon God and his grace to love my enemy. I can't do that from myself, no matter how good of a person I am. And so you can, you can fake agape love with, with the people you like, right? Jesus said that, right? E even sinners love their friends, right? And I think too much time as Christians, we're all happy in our, our holy huddle being friends together, and we think that we're experiencing agape, and you may be, but your agape love for others isn't tested until you go and you reconcile with your enemies. And it only comes by his grace. Now, before we start dealing with, um, with, with, with our human enemies, we have to look at who the Bible says our enemies are. Sin, death, and the devil. The devil's name is actually the adversary. That means he is your opponent, and he did appear on the Grammys last week. Um, and so sin, we see, um, Paul says, I am captive to the law of sin. Captive, meaning that's all you do. Apart from the grace of God, you sin. You come by it naturally, you choose to sin all the time. It's, you're captive to it. It dwells in you. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me this, from this body of death? Sin and death all go together. Why is there death? Because we sin. And so death is our enemy, but it's going to be swallowed up in victory. So sin and death is your enemies, right? You know, your spouse is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your neighbor who leaves his junk out in the yard is not your, not your enemy. Russia, Putin, is not your enemy. Your enemy is sin and death and the adversary who brought them to us, the devil. Okay? So here's the thing. When you start thinking about your human enemy, realize they're not your real enemy. And you see, that then makes you profoundly spiritual because you have a proper perspective 
of what truth and reality really is. And so that, that way, when you look upon your enemy, you see a human being made in the image of God in desperate need of grace, just like you. Does that begin to change how you're going to approach your enemy? It should. So the way to love your enemies is believe the gospel. This is the next thing is realize that you once were an enemy of Christ, right? But only because of his agape love have we now become friends with God, right? And Jesus has defeated our true enemies of sin and death. Hallelujah. Your enemies have been conquered, sin and death and the devil. They're conquered. Jesus is just on a cleanup mission through, through history now, calling people to himself so that they can have eternal life. Our tr the war's over, guys. Okay? The war's over. It's, it's cleanup operation. D-Day's already happened. It's just the last nine months of the war. And we're waiting for it to all be over. But remember, when they were calling out, crucify him, crucify him, if you were there that day, you would have joined the chorus. Right? You would have joined the chorus. And when you realize that, you're like, oh my goodness, I was an enemy to Christ, but how can I, and I was reconciled? Oh, this guy here that I feel like is my enemy, you know, maybe I can change my tune a little bit. So here's what Jesus tells us to do. He gives us a method. First is he tells us to do divine actions. Do good to those who hate you. That's a divine thing. That, that doesn't happen naturally, right? You don't naturally do good to people you hate or who hate you. Okay, that is a divine act. The second thing is he's calling us to have divine words. Bless them. Say nice things about them. Even though all you want to do is say really bad things about them, and they're probably worthy of it. But he says don't because of all the reasons I've already mentioned. Then he says pray for them. Divine prayer. Pray for those who mistreat you. And here's the beautiful thing, is that he's telling us to love your enemies, you have to be led by God. Why? Because you have to pray for them. The only way that you're going to reconcile and love your enemies and be at peace with your enemies is you start with prayer. Because here, ultimately, I don't have this on a slide, but here's how you get an enemy. One, it starts with differences. There's a difference between me and you. That difference leads to a disagreement. That disagreement leads to a division. That division then leads to argumentation and hurt and pain and injury. Do you see how it begins with differences, disagreements, divisions? And the only way, usually, to write this out is what he's saying here, good acts, good words, good prayers, right? So it ultimately ends up in dialogue. The best way to reconcile with an enemy, hey, Joe, we got a problem here in our relationship. Let's go have lunch. Let's talk it out, right? When, what should we be saying right now about Russia and Ukraine? Let's have peace talks. Let's get the two people in a room, get them talking. That's the only way you can reconcile with an enemy. You've got to be praying for him, doing good work, saying good things, but you ultimately have to come together face-to-face, -to -face, dialogue it out.
Turn the other cheek, he tells us in verse 29. You see, this text here has two huge beatitudes of Jesus. One is turn the other cheek. Now, here's the thing about turning the other cheek. It was just an insult. This is not violence. This is not um, a criminal act. It's basically your enemy has insulted you. They have slapped you across the face. And it's an insult to you as a person. It doesn't mean that they have um, done something criminal. It doesn't mean that the law should be uh, disregarded and ignored. God is not calling for us to live in a land of chaos, right? If somebody commits a crime against you, 911. We have laws to restrain evil. What he's saying here is if someone slaps you across, and in this point in the culture, if someone slaps you across the face, it's kind of like this. Matter of fact, I think that whole Chris Rock, Will Smith thing is a great modern illustration of it. Was Chris Rock physically hurt by it? No. If he was, he's pathetic. As a man. I'm just talking man, man to man here. Right? It, it smarted him for 10 minutes. It was an insult. He was publicly humiliated. But who is the worser person? Will Smith. Right? So that's what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus says, here's what you do. Turn the other cheek, and when you turn the other cheek, it's going to cause the other person to look you in the eye, see your humanity, see your dignity, and you're going to call them out. Because when you see another person's humanity and dignity, you're reminded, oh, they are made in the image of God. I cannot simply transgress this way against them. And so Jesus is giving us as, as a measure. And then he tells us, you, you gotta, and to do this, you've got to be willing to empty yourself of your pride. Because if they want your coat, you've got to give them your shirt too. Okay, now, do you know what that meant in that day and age? Okay, guy says, hey, I want your coat. All right, here's your coat. Well, you know what? Jesus says, God says, I'm supposed to give you my shirt too. Do you now know how you're standing in public? Naked. <laughs> right? So what Jesus is saying to you is when your enemy harms you, insults you, you have to be willing to expose, be vulnerable. Not not physically, right? Maybe you've got to go back to your house, take your shirt off, put something else on, and then come out and give it to him. But he's making a very illustrative point that, that, that when you are harmed by your enemy, you have to... You have to kill your pride, and you have to say, this is not about me. This is not about me. He then tells us, you've got to live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, this is a, a teaching that we all know. Um, we all adhere to it and love it, right, every day. Now, Here's the thing. Remember when I said the Beatitudes are a, a proverbial and a state of like what divine grace and blessedness looks like? This is theology right here. It's, it's everywhere in the scriptures. It's not explicitly stated. Divine ought does not imply human ability. Divine ought does not imply human ability. Commandment number 10, thou shall not covet. Yesterday, my son and I went and looked at cars. And when we walked into the Ford dealership, you know what was right there in the Ford dealership? 
for $130,000 the Raptor R. Your pastor was coveting. Why does the guy who can afford that, why does his employer like him so much that he can afford that? What's wrong with my employer? Right, because I should have that car. I want a Raptor, right? Why does that guy get to have a Raptor and I don't? You see, but I'm coveting, right? Divine ought, you ought not to covet, does not imply I have the ability not to covet. Same thing here with the golden roll. So how are we going to live out the golden roll? Faith, dependency on Christ and his grace and his gospel. How are you going to love your enemy? You're going to run to Jesus first. And here's the other thing that you will learn about all your enemies, is when you finally learn that a person's behavior has more to do with their internal struggle than it ever did with you, you learn grace. Meaning, I don't want to speak negatively about your enemies, but just know this, there's probably something profoundly wrong with them. No, seriously. They could be a narcissist. They could be OCD. They could just be an angry person. They got up on the wrong side of the bed. Their mama didn't hold them long enough. They didn't have a father. I don't know. They went to the wrong university. I mean, maybe they went to Austin for their schooling. Can I hear a whoop? Right, you get the point, right? You will find out as you re-engage with your enemies, they are suffering some, from some profound hurt or problem of their own. And you know what they need? The same thing you did when Jesus looked down at the cross from you, the compassion of God. And you are God's agent in your enemy's life to reveal to them the compassion of God. Now, does that begin to change the way you view your enemy? Because the evidence of loving your enemies shows forth your sonship. Do you really live like you are a child of grace? That you are a child of your Father in heaven? And that you belong as a fellow son to the Lord Jesus. So, because Jesus, he loves his enemies, right? So we're to give and to lend to them, not expecting anything in return, right? And if you do this, you will be like the most high, right? I mean, that's what he just said there, right? That you will be just like God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who else said that? Genesis chapter 3. Your adversary said that. Eat of the apple, Eve. You'll be just like God. Don't believe what your husband said, that you're going to die. Your husband's never right. Do what you want to do. It's pretty. Eat it. See how sin, evil, enemies get created? They seem somewhat innocuous to begin with. But Satan said, if you sin, you'll be just like the Most High. Now Scripture is reaffirming. You want to be like the Most High? Be merciful. Love your enemies. And you can only do this if you allow the agape love of Jesus to fill your heart. So be merciful because you're Father in heaven. And what does God say all throughout the scriptures? I will be your God. You will be my people. Be like me. Be Christ-like. Right? I think it's like 61 times the phrase in Christo appears in the New Testament, in Christ. You are to be in Christ. To be in Christ means that you are merciful, you're gracious, you're compassionate, even towards the people that are unworthy of it, your enemies, who you don't like, right? 
And that's, we see this in the Old Testament coming forward from Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good, what the Lord requires of you, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I know some of you have opinions about the Roman Catholic Church. We have to love our brothers in the Roman Catholic Church. Let's stop thinking that people from a different denomination are enemies. I think, you know, I remember this happening back in the 80s, but Pope John Paul II was assassinated. I think it was somewhere in 1981 or 82. Um, that's Ali Akka there that he's shaking hands with. In 1985, the Pope, three years after he was shot, I think he was shot like four times by the guy, right? So that's why that Pope was a cool one, right? I mean, you take four bullet hits and you still live, you're righteous. And so he went to him and he forgave him. I forgive you. And he was told by the Ayatollah in Iran, go kill the Pope. He was under orders, right? And here's, Ali then becomes a Christian. And look what he has to say. I lived for years under the air of Islamic Nazi fascism ever since I was a child. And now I've recognized that Jesus Christ was the best person who walked on earth. How did he learn that Jesus, per Jesus Christ was the best person to ever walk on earth? Because he was forgiven by his enemy. He probably never received that kind of forgiveness and love by anybody in his former Islamic life. See, that's the power of the gospel that lived out. So here's how you do it. I just hit 30 minutes. I've got to wrap this up. This is your order. This is how you do it. Right now, think, who are my enemies? Who do I really hate right now? Right? And just remember, hatred is the broth that you drink upon that brings bitterness to your soul. Right? So don't, 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 don't bring bitterness to your soul by hating somebody. But the dangerous thing is it kind of feels good and it tastes good. Um, you have first, whoever your enemies are, write them down. Write them down right now in your book and start praying for them. Number two, take that injury and hurt that they did to the cross of Jesus because that's where he died for it. Whatever sins have been committed against you by your enemies, it's been paid for by Jesus. Amen? Pray for compassion for your enemy. Then four, I'm going two minutes too long. I'll pay for it next week. Um, there's a guy who caused me a lot of pain and a lot of harm. And every morning for over a year, I woke up every morning just, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. And I kind of enjoyed my hate for a little while that morning over coffee. Um, hate and coffee kind of go together. Um, there's a bitterness there. And so sometimes it would be like five minutes. Some days it would be 50 minutes. But at some point, I just got convicted and said, Lord, I forgive him. I forgive him. I'm so sorry. Please help me to forgive him. Right? And then I'd go about my day, and it was great. Then the next morning, I'd wake up, and I'd go, I hate that guy, I hate that guy, I hate that guy. And this went on for 15 months. Finally, a friend of mine who's a chaplain in the Army who knew this guy, and this guy was a very powerful person, and he had done this to a lot of people. We finally met. It was so unsatisfying because he kind of, he's a bit of a narcissist. He just kind of talked about himself. And finally, when the bill came, I said, dude, Here's what you did to me. Here's why it hurt me. Here's why it harmed me. But I forgive you. And he said, okay. 